Now, Professor Andrews, in your interview with James Warner Wallace, you said, in my role as an apologist, apart from writing a number of books, I may have been the first creationist to debate Richard Dawkins. So as one of the first creationists to debate Richard Dawkins, Professor Andrews, what do you think is the strongest argument that Richard Dawkins has presented for the evolutionary theory and why do you believe that it remains insufficient as evidence for the evolutionary theory? I find that question difficult to answer because I don't think Richard Dawkins actually makes arguments. He makes assertions and builds on those assertions. Of course, you can define an argument any way you like, but in my view, a valid argument involves two essential uh, qualities, if you like, two essential uh, ingredients. Uh, a valid argument must first of all begin with a true or at least rational premise starting point. And the second ingredient that is necessary to a valid argument is that as the argument develops uh, alternatives must be considered and rejected as necessary but they must be considered they must be taken into account and the uh, one presenting the argument has to has to tell us why the alternatives are wrong and uh, now i don't find that in uh, in in richard dawkins at all and he does use the principle of asserting things without without justifying them and then building his ideas are on top of that let me um, let me give an example of his his, his genre of argument um, he argues that first of all complicated things are less probable than uncomplicated things uh, he starts at that point uh, and that that can be true in, in some narrow areas. It's, it's true in statistical mechanics and, and, and thermodynamics, perhaps. Uh, but it's, it's certainly not true as a generalization. It's, in fact, it's ridiculous as a generalization. Uh, you go to any arbitrary place on the earth and start digging, you're far more likely uh, to find earthworms than you are diamonds and yet a diamond is a very simple thing it is a single crystal of a single element carbon earthworms on the other hand are very complicated organisms uh, and so you can't say that just because something is complicated it is uncommon and therefore improbable so his starting point is is false and uh, then he goes on to argue that the universe is is very complicated and therefore if god created the universe then god must be even more complicated uh, and moves on to the conclusion that god is very improbable 
Well, once again, he, he fails entirely on the second score. He fails to consider alternatives. Uh, he says that because the universe is complicated, any creator of the universe would have to be more complicated. Uh, that, that, is, that doesn't follow in any way. He, has, he doesn't consider the alternative that the creator of the universe might in fact be simpler than the universe. And the God of the Bible, a God of theism, is in fact in some ways a very simple entity. Uh, he is spirit, therefore he doesn't have any moving parts, if you'll excuse that expression. doesn't have any, any material parts at all. He's not a conglomeration of machines and, and, and gears and, and uh, mechanisms. Uh, he is just a spirit, and that is very uncomplicated, a unitary spirit. And, and so, uh, for, by failing to consider alternatives, uh, Dawkins violates my second principle of the valid argument. Now, if we just move away from Dawkins for a moment and, and say, uh, among atheists generally, what is the most powerful argument in favour of evolution? I would say, well, quite clearly, it is the fact that all living creatures, as far as we know, all living things, all life forms, uh, share the same uh, genetic code. So, so the common genetic code, whether they be bacteria or higher animals, more advanced organisms, genetic code. And that, I think, is the most powerful argument. The, the most powerful argument used to be thought in my younger days as a Christian that the, the fossil record was a very powerful argument. But although nobody seems to have noticed, that was shot down um, by paleontologists who, who, in fact, study the fossils, that is their specialization. And there is a theory that was put forward by Stephen Jay Gould and others that evolution has still happened, but it happened off stage. It happened in small areas and small populations which didn't leave any fossils. And then when the evolution had occurred, it burst out and became widespread. And, and why did he propose that, uh, that theory, that alternative theory? Well, he did it because as a paleontologist, he knew very well that the fossil record does not correspond to the evolutionary narrative of continual gradual change and transformation from one species to another, from one type of animal to another. It's not supported by the fossil record. And so he invented this alternative uh, theory, which is called punctuated equilibrium, meaning that um, fossils in the fossil record appear suddenly, continue unchanged, except for minor adaptations, and then disappear, or else they're still with us today. And so that was the equilibrium. Fossils don't change in the fossil record.
they, they appear, they disappear. They undergo certain modifications, that's not a problem. But they don't evolve gradually from one type of animal to another. So you say, well, that was happening off stage. And uh, that's his answer to it. It's not widely accepted by, by evolutionists, of course, but uh, it just illustrates that something that was once considered probably the best evidence for evolution has now gone out of fashion. Well, now what about this idea, well, the fact that, that all living things have a, a common a genetic code? Well, first of all, of course, they can't tell us where the genetic code came from. Codes don't happen by accident. And I argue that in, in my book, Who Made God, uh, at great length. Uh, but uh, the failure there, the premise of the argument that uh, all living things have a common genetic code, that's fine, that's accepted, nobody disputes that. So the premise is, is correct and acceptable, but they don't consider alternatives. The alternatives, of course, are divine creation, a common uh, pattern uh, of life, because that's the way God made life. He made all life in the same way. Or the intelligent design uh, movement who don't, uh, who don't attribute creation to God, but uh, point out that the scientific evidence shows that there must have been a, a mind, there must have been an intelligence behind the development of life, and that is the only way that one can account for the scientific findings. But they don't consider them because they immediately say, well, that's not science. Well, no, it isn't science. But then that means they are saying science is the only reservoir depository of, of reality. Only science can describe reality. Reality finishes uh, when you move outside of the material realm, which is what science investigates. Well, that, that is, is just an opinion, it's not based upon any evidence itself. So the story of uh, common descent is, is the only one left if you rule out uh, non-material causes. But why do you rule out non-material causes? You rule them out because you don't like them. I don't think I am in any way worried by or persuaded by uh, or troubled by the, the best answers that uh, evolutionists can give for the correctness of their theory. Let, I would like to just add this, we must distinguish between the uh, molecules to man uh, common descent theory where all life is derived from some uh, single spark of life and uh, what we might call microevolution, which I think would be better called adaptation, in which a given species or pre-evolution is, is, um, is no problem for the creationist or for the intelligent design proponent. And in fact, it's paralleled by human breeding of animals where 
where you can breed an, an amazing range of different varieties of cats and dogs, but they're still cats and dogs. I, I don't think I need to elaborate on that.